5 Real Creepy Cyberstalking Stories With our reliance on technology consistently on the rise, it's no surprise we're seeing new forms of crime done over the internet. Cyberstalking is one of them, and it's become a serious issue over the past few decades. The five stories on this list are about real individuals and the people who followed them. These are five real creepy cyberstalking stories. Number 5. Alexis Moore The first signs for Alexis Moore that something was wrong happened when she was at a gas station in California. She swiped her card, handled the pump, but before she could use it, the machine flashed a note, please see cashier. She knew she had money in her bank account, so she tried her ATM card, and this time it said insufficient funds. After she got home, she checked into her records and learned that someone had accessed her bank account and closed all of her credit cards. She called the credit card companies and banks, but they didn't know what to do because according to their records, it was her that fulfilled the transaction. They even pointed out she faxed them the documents. At first, she didn't think anyone was particularly targeting her, that this was all a random act and she happened to be the hapless victim, but soon things turned for the worse. Her medical and auto insurance was canceled as well, then her mobile service was cut off. She didn't know what was happening, but she could think of only one person who had access to all her passwords, addresses, date of births, and other private information to pass off as her, and it was her ex-boyfriend. Alexis tried to speak with police and attempted multiple times to get them to help her, but they dismissed her pleas. During this time, in the early 2000s, there was no solid concept of what cyber-stalking was or cyber-crimes. Nevertheless, they were real. These attacks became so crippling that Alexis lost money, the ability to work, and even her credit history. She couldn't move, get a new apartment, and even lost support from some friends and family. Her ordeal continued for three whole years until she managed to climb out of the predicament by using the online world herself. She began writing about the whole ordeal on her blog. She labeled it cyber-stalking and soon she heard from other victims going through the same type of thing. From there, she began putting her life back together. This involved making extreme financial decisions and going back and forth with police, FBI, and the court, hoping for a resolution to her problem. For many, the act of cyber-stalking and cybercrimes in general seems like nothing that would happen to them. But for Alexis Moore, it caused her entire life to turn upside down. Today, she is a lawyer and helping other victims battle against their own cyberstalkers. Her efforts in fighting the crime has resulted in her work and the very definition of cyberstalking to be included in legislations all around the world and in law enforcement training manuals. Number 4. Gary Delapenta It was January 1, 1999 when the state of California enacted a cyber-stalking statute, and it came just three weeks after 50-year-old Gary DeLapenta from North Hollywood, California became the first one charged for the crime. In early 1998, 28-year-old Randy Barber began receiving disturbing solicitation calls on her answering machine. These were from different men and Barber was disturbed and confused why they were calling her and how they even got her number. Then one day in April, a stranger knocked on her front door. Barber hid and the man left minutes later, but soon after, the same man gave her a phone call. Barber answered and asked, What do you want and why are you doing this? Confused by the sound of hysteria in Barber's voice, 
The man explained he was simply responding to a sexy ad she had supposedly placed on the internet. Barbara had no computer at home and asked the man what ad and what did it say. The man then replied, let me put it to you this way, you could get raped. Barbara scrambled to learn what was happening and soon discovered she was a victim of a horrible criminal act. She found out a stalker had gone online and assumed her identity. This person then placed ads on the internet, specifically seeking men to fulfill her kinky desires. In the ad, it mentioned she was into rape and gangbang fantasy. This ad was posted on various sites including Nightmail and Hotmail under pervy monikers like Kinky Gal 30 and Playful Kitty for You. Even worse, the cyberstalker posted Barber's home address and provided descriptions of what she looked like. The stalker even gave out her social plans, including tips on how to short-circuit her home alarm. Even though she was horrified at someone using her identity, she kept a cool head and decided to find out who was behind everything. She reported the incident to police, but this was the late 90s and with no hard evidence of the crime, it was tough for them to help. So Barber began researching taping each and every phone call that went through her machine no matter how lewd they were. She also called back the men and tried to explain her situation. At least two of them cooperated with her and turned over copies of emails they had with the stalker. Eventually, a prime suspect was uncovered and his name was Gary Delapenta. A security guard that still lived with his 80-year-old mother, Delapenta had met Barber through an acquaintance. He tried to ask her out, but... He made her feel uncomfortable, so she consistently turned him down. However, he pursued her anyway, even joining her church. When the church officials intervened on her behalf, the advances stopped, but months later the lewd phone calls began. Armed with recordings now and printouts of emails along with the name of a suspect, Barber headed back to the police and they were then able to take on her case. The FBI and DA's office traced back the emails from the website using a search warrant and this all led back to Delapenta. His computer and hard drive was then checked and it was confirmed that he had been the source of all the stalker emails and postings. His MO was simple. He made several free email accounts using Barber's name and then began posting the kinky ads on the sites. Using the fake emails, he replied to the various men who responded to the ads. Eventually, Delapenta admitted to one count of stalking and three counts of solicitation to sexual assault and was placed in prison for six years. This hallmark case became the first conviction ever in the state of California for a cyberstalking crime. Number 3. Ronnie Jacobson She was only 12 years old and he was 14. Ronnie Jacobson first met Danny at a summer camp in 2001 while they both lived in Georgia. They became friends and occasionally spoke to each other during the school year, but soon Danny would be calling her nearly every day. As a teenager, she decided to ghost him and ignore his calls, hoping he would take the hint. He didn't though, and so eventually she blocked his number altogether. But Danny soon found her on AOL Instant Messenger, and the two continued to chat on and off throughout high school. However, Ronnie again blocked him on that platform as well. By 2006, Facebook had rolled around and Danny found her on there, and she accepted his friend request, not wanting to be rude. The two exchanged messages on occasion, and Ronnie didn't think much of Danny's behavior until he showed up one evening during her sophomore year in college. He was waiting for her outside the library, 
and asked if they could go out to eat dinner. She denied him, and frightened after the odd encounter, Ronnie decided to cut off contact once again, hoping his fixation with her would fizzle out, but instead it was the opposite. Danny began messaging her on Facebook almost non-stop every few hours for several days. She had finally had enough and messaged him back asking him to please stop contacting her so much or she would block him. But instead of backing off, Danny instead ramped up his messaging. The usual rambling soon turned into veiled insults and threats, saying things like he would ruin her career. Ronnie began filtering his emails and blocking his messages, but still some form of communication reached her as Danny used new usernames and came up with various ways to harass her. He then began sending letters to various federal government agencies in both New York and Washington, submitting formal complaints against the girl. Afterwards, he began contacting Ronnie's friends, families, employers, acquaintances, and more. Ronnie had to fend off inquiries about him and embarrassingly explain the situation to possible employers. Despite the now constant harassment she was receiving, it took two more years before Ronnie took legal action in 2014. By this time, Danny also began harassing Ronnie's best friend by pretending to be Ronnie and sending her hurtful and unusual messages. Ronnie asked Apple and Google for help, but they didn't assist in the situation. She then went on and filed a complaint with IC3, the Cybercrime Reporting Center for the FBI. However, she only received a generic email back. Weeks later, Danny informed her via email that he had filed an IC3 report against her. Ronnie also tried the police. She gathered copies of the letters Danny sent her, including the one she sent to an attorney general in New York. Once there, however, the police couldn't assist her because there was insufficient proof that Danny had threatened her physically or emotionally. She went back and forth attempting to get some resolution for her plight, but not much came of it. Eventually, she ended up just writing about her experience and published it online via Wired magazine. Number 2. James Allen James Allen from New Baltimore, Michigan received 18 counts of cyberstalking, including 5 counts of child pornography. Between April and August of 2012, he stalked 18 female victims using the internet and his cell phone. Allen's cyberstalking crime is unusual since he targeted multiple females and aimed for minors. His MO involved first identifying young females. Once he found a target, he would get in touch with the victim and inform her that he had found naked pictures of them online. He would then direct them to a website where the supposed pictures were posted. Unknowingly, the victims would access a phishing website masquerading as a sign-in page for the image hosting site Flickr. Once they entered their information, they would capture their email address and password. Afterwards, Alan would take that info and contact the victims, telling them to go on Skype video and chat with him. Once there, he would force the victims to undress and engage in sexual conduct. If they refused, they would be blackmailed and told naked pictures of them would be distributed all around western New York. Allen would consistently and repeatedly harass the victims, adding to their emotional distress. At least one of the victims received unknown text messages from him, saying that if she didn't comply, the pictures would be sent to her mother and grandmother. The victim even received the email and phone numbers of her relatives proving that Allen did have the information on hand. Of course, he had gotten them from hacking his victim's Facebook and Yahoo accounts. 
He even took it a step further by using the existing victims' hacked accounts to target other victims. Once the new victims accessed the phishing websites, Allen would again receive their private info and lock them out of their social media or email. On certain occasions, he even posed as a Facebook administrator, telling other young girls to contact him to regain access. The cycle repeated itself for him to gain more victims, and with the net so big, soon, one by one, the young girls began contacting police. James Allen was tried and convicted, then sentenced to 10 years in prison and an additional 10 years under supervised release. Number 1. Vanessa Bruno For six whole months, blogger and mother Vanessa Bruno felt trapped and tormented. Like most people, she had an online presence. She maintained a blog and often talked about her life and family there. However, for more than six months, she was frightened after she was hounded by an anonymous online stalker. Initially, this person would simply comment on her blog posts, but over time, the comments became more disturbing and threatening. Bruno started receiving racist rants about her Italian background, then her boyfriend, who was African-American, also became a target of the racism from the stalker. Soon, the comments became graphic. She received ones like, I thought you were a strong, independent Italian woman. Laugh out loud, you're nothing but a soon-to-be rape statistic. Another comment said, Watch out, I'm going to have you soon. Various other lewd comments that are too graphic to mention were also made. The stalker even went as far as hacking her brother's Facebook account and sending her a message from there. Her brother had recently committed suicide and the message taunted her, stating that he wouldn't have committed suicide if she wasn't such a terrible person. The last straw was when the stalker messaged Bruno's pregnant friend and stated that when he was done with Bruno, he was going to slit her baby's throat. Bruno reported the situation to police and eventually they narrowed down the man responsible for all the cyber-stalking and harassment. They traced it to a guy named Michael Sopinka from Stony Creek. Charges were filed and eventually he was arrested in relation to the crime after Bruno's story was picked up by the Metro and gained publicity. Despite being thankful for the arrest, Bruno said she had misgivings about how the police made her feel when she first reported the crime. She felt as if she was made to feel like a drama queen for reporting such complaints. She also felt as if she was encouraged to keep the man's name a secret when an officer commented that he came from a good family. Toronto police dispute her interpretation and said they only wanted to make sure she was cautious about what she posts or says online since it could jeopardize the case. After what happened, Bruno said she was affected both professionally and personally. Vanessa works as a copywriter and her online presence is a part of her life. With what happened, she feels as if she lost her safety and even her career. So there were five real creepy cyberstalking stories. Many of us take our privacy for granted until it's taken away from us. And this is what makes cyberstalking and stalking in general so terrifying. It's a form of seizing power and control on the part of the stalker and forcing the victim to live in absolute fear and uncertainty. We have new videos coming out every Wednesday and Saturday, so please remember to subscribe to our channel because you won't want to miss out on what's coming next. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you soon.